facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, it's a magnificent Monday. It is always good to be with you on The Kale Clark Show. I can't wait to get going with this. We've got a really special program for you. Let me give out the phone number right now. So you can get in line, grab a line, and talk to me for free. 888-914-9149. It's our toll-free line on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149. Of course, you can always email me. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Become a shadow producer. Send me a show idea, a link, story you thought was cool that I might have a take on. Love to hear from you. Comments, questions, also welcome. And you can find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, or or is it or is it X dot com now? We'll, we'll get into that later in the program. At Kale Clark is my handle, C A L E, Clark with an E. You can even try it, see if it works. X dot com slash Kale Clark. See if it takes you to my Twitter page, or it used to be my Twitter page. Well, we'll get into why that is later in the program with some very very special insight, by the way, from the famed biographer. Walter Isaacson, who is working, he's finished a book on Elon Musk. It's going to be coming out in September. I can't wait. He's going to explain this little makeover or muskover, if you will, how Twitter has now become X, the everything app, and why that is. We're going to delve into that later in the program. Plus, somebody made a hole in one from Relevant Radio this past weekend. I'm going to explain who that might be. Uh, drinks all around on this person. I've been guaranteed of that uh, later in the show. Hey, it's always a happy hour on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. But first, we got to get to this. We got to get to this, and I, I'm, I'm just—I can't wait to dive into this topic. King Solomon. Now, Jesus mentions King Solomon in today's gospel. Solomon, of course, very renowned, world famous for his wisdom, but he wasn't so great at taking his own advice putting it into practice. And uh, we want to make sure that you avoid the same mistake. We're going to talk about the Solomon paradox and the Solomon framework for how to defeat that. So I can't wait to dive into this. Once again, it's K.O. Clark's show, 888 So today's gospel comes to us from Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42. If you're able to catch a mass earlier today, you heard this, or maybe you're going tonight after the show. But here's what happened. Some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus said, Oy vey. No, no, he didn't say that. But he probably did. He probably just smacked his forehead and said, Have you not seen enough? All right. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He said to them in reply, An evil and unfaithful generation seeks a sign. But no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. At the judgment, the men of Nineveh will rise with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and there is something greater than Jonah here. So let me just stop there for one second. We did a series on the Faith Explained program on Relevant Radio. It should be in the archives if you go to the website relevantradio.com slash our shows. Just look up the Faith Explained. So that was a fun series on the book of Jonah because Jesus specifically says that there is going to be a sign. I'll give you a sign. I've given you many signs. And in John's Gospel, the miracles of Jesus are called signs. I'm going to give you the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the sea monster for three days and three nights, 
so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And of course, that is a reference to his impending death, burial, and resurrection. But the, but the book of Jonah is really intriguing, and we delved into it again, as I said, on the Faith Explained program. But then he, Jesus says something else in today's gospel. He says, and this is what I want, really want to focus on. He says, quote, At the judgment, the queen of the south will arise with this generation and condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and there is something greater than Solomon here. And we, we know that King Solomon, of course, was renowned for his wisdom. The third king of Israel, there's, of course, Saul, the first king. Uh, God said, you know, really, you shouldn't be going after a king like these other nations. But they insisted, so he gave them Saul. And then there came, of course, King David. And David's son, the son of David, if you will, and by the way, Jesus is called the son of David, starting with the very beginning of Matthew's gospel. The original son of David, of course, was King Solomon from 968 to 928 BC. He's well known for his wisdom. He's also well known for having 700 wives and 300 concubines, including women such as Pharaoh's daughter, uh, women of Moab, Moabite women, uh, Edomite women, uh, Hittite women. He hit on all of them. Believe me, he hit on the Hittite women, and he, and, and he had a lot of wives, a lot of girlfriends, and there's some reasons for that other than his unbridled lust. He was probably trying to make political alliances of some sort, expanding the kingdom. And that's what ancient kings did. That's what ancient rulers did. They would very often marry uh, the daughters of foreign kings who they hoped to make peace with and hoped to make treaties with and hoped to make alliances with. And, and that was part of it. But it can't explain all of it, of course. You can't, can't blame it all on political expansion. But King Solomon, I just want to give you a bit of a sketch of who he was and what he was all about. I'm going to talk about something that happens to us that happened to King Solomon all the time. It's called Solomon's Paradox. I'm going to teach you how to get out of it on the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Well, of course, according to the scriptures in the Old Testament, Solomon was the wisest person in the world, also the greatest living king on earth at that time. And the reason why he was so smart, it wasn't wasn't just good genes. It wasn't just that he ate eggs every morning, uh, got a lot of omega-3s. No, his, his great wisdom came from God. It was a gift from God. And in fact, Solomon had prayed for this, but not, not for himself, not for his own purposes, not so he could uh, win every game of Trivial Pursuit with his buddies. God promised him, I'll, I'll give you any gift, any gift that you ask for. And you can read about this, by the way, in 1 Kings chapter 3, when it talks about the the beginning of Solomon's reign. And Solomon makes a very wise choice, and this wisdom would be his hallmark going forward. He he said, look, I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people. And and so he didn't ask, this really pleased the Lord because he didn't ask for great wealth. He didn't ask for great power. He didn't ask for glory. He didn't ask to be, you know, to, 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 for people to approach him and ask for counsel. He didn't seek to be consulted. But, but it's interesting because God gave him all these things anyways. He kind of threw them in and just, hey, I am so happy that you asked for wisdom, and I'm going to give it to you. You're, you're going to be the wisest person who's ever walked on the face of the earth up until now. 
But I'm going to give you some other stuff as well. I'm going to give you all the rest too. I'm going to throw that in for free. And Solomon, of course, was able to lead Israel to great, great glory and amazing swaths of territory all the way from the border of Egypt to the border of Babylon. And, and there was a lot of peace, by the way, too. Um, there was during his reign, it was, it was essentially a time of peace. I guess you could call it the Pax Solomon, you know, if you will, like the Pax Romana. It was, but obviously, what what he's most known for, other than his love life, I guess you could say, is his his great wisdom. And he he had a test right almost right away, right after he gets this great gift of wisdom. In in First Kings chapter three, it talks about this amazing test of wisdom that he's given, where two women are saying, "I'm the real mother of this baby. You should give this baby to me." The other person's lying. And he had to adjudicate the situation, and so he he kind of flipped it. He, instead of instead of allowing these these ladies to kind of make their case, he's like, okay, I'm going to let you guys decide <laughs> who the real mother is. Uh, I'm going to cut this child in half. I'm going to order that this child be cut in two, and I'm going to give an equal piece to both of you ladies, and 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 you'll both go home happy. Well. Of course, the real mother said, no, 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 don't do that. Give it to the other woman. And that's how he knew who the real mother was. And the other girl got in a a little bit of trouble. But uh, this is this is exactly the kind of wisdom that made him famous. This this incident. Wow. It spread far and wide without without Twitter, without X dot com. There was no social media back in those days. But everybody in Israel immediately knew this guy's a different breed. I mean, he has got off the charts wisdom. His Mensa scores are just, you know, astronomical. And that's exactly what Jesus did as well. The other son of David, Jesus, who, of course, is far wiser than even King Solomon. As Jesus says in the gospel, something greater than Solomon is here. Someone greater than Solomon is here because he is divine wisdom incarnate. He is God incarnate. The God who gave Solomon all his wisdom has become here, one of us, through the incarnation in Jesus. And so, this is what St. Paul mentions too, by the way, in 1 Corinthians. He says, we have the mind of Christ. And that's the amazing thing. We can tap into this, this great wisdom, if we're humble enough to do that. It's, it's amazing. He, he, he's not the, God is not the one who asks questions. He knows all the answers. He is, he's the, the answerer of all the questions. And, and so we can really tap into, into that wisdom. And by the way, um, there's, there's a lot of books that, that are out there. Maybe you've heard of them outside of the Bible. Um, there's, there's a book called The Wisdom of Solomon, right? The Book of Wisdom that's in the Old Testament. Did Solomon really write that? Well, uh, it was very common. He was such a smart guy that people would often claim his name. They would, they would say, claim that, oh, I've written a book. It's, it's actually from Solomon, <laughs> um, the Psalms of Solomon. Uh, there, there are all kinds of different uh, books attributed to Solomon uh, in the ancient world. But it, but in the Bible, you might have heard that the the Song of Solomon, which is almost this great love poem, is it about human love? Is it about the soul's relationship with God? Is it a little bit of both? It's been traditionally attributed to Solomon. The Song of Solomon, the Book of Ecclesiastes at various times has been attributed to him. Also the Wisdom of Solomon. Were they written by him? Hard to say. I mean, some of his wisdom probably got into a lot of this stuff. Um, uh, Peter Crave says there's an ancient Jewish tradition 
that King Solomon wrote the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon, in his youth, when he was enamored with, with human love, and these, these beautiful ladies that he was meeting all the time in the royal court. And then he wrote, allegedly, the Book of Proverbs. That's another book that's associated with Solomon. When he was middle-aged, and he's kind of, you know, he's got some experience. He's sort of reflecting on things a little bit. And then the Book of Ecclesiastes, he allegedly wrote, uh, in his senior years, in his golden years, because it, it has a bit of a different take. So Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, it's about young love. Proverbs is about wisdom, mature wisdom. Ecclesiastes kind of has this disillusional character, um, lamenting a whole bunch of stuff. And by this point, when he was a senior, he had turned away. He had turned far away from God. He turned away from what, what Scripture says is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. He made some big, big mistakes. So it wasn't all bad. And, and, and Kreef talks about how uh, one of the great things about King Solomon, one of the great aspects of his character was that he had all this great wealth, but he wasn't corrupted by it. And that, that is extremely tough to do. A lot of people can handle poverty. A lot of people can handle adversity and still keep their spiritual life intact. Not a lot of people can handle prosperity uh, without it going to their head or somehow affecting them in, in a way that it has a negative imprint on their character. But what did Solomon do with his cash? Well, he built the temple, the first temple uh, for God. And Crave says, you know, it's kind of like when people built the medieval cathedrals and Ordinary folks like you and me would give their time, their talent, their treasure, their skill to construct these magnificent cathedrals of Gothic masterpieces of, of the Middle Ages. And many of them still exist today. And modern engineers probably don't even know how to do half of this stuff. This is just incredible. And people did it for God. They didn't do it for any other reason than for the glory of God. And you think about the intricate stonework at the top of some of these gargoyles, which cannot be seen from street level. They didn't have drones back in those days. Yet the, 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 the artisans, the, the craftsmen, would just, would just give it their very best because only God could see it up there. Only God could see it, and God would know whether or not they put in an honest day's work. So there's so much to be gleaned from this. But by that time, the temple... The first temple was, was just a wonder of the world, and it was destroyed by the Babylonians, of course, 586 B.C. That was a, a devastating event for the Jewish people. And then the second temple, which was constructed under the watch of Herod the Great, of course, during Jesus' time on earth, that temple, and Jesus walked around in it. He was there. That temple was destroyed in the year 70 A.D. by the Romans. Another incredible travesty. And what's left of that, of course, is the Wailing Wall, the very famous Western Wall. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you've been there in the Holy Land. It is the holiest place in the world for the Jewish people. So Solomon had to build this amazing temple because the, the temple was an, ultimately a symbol of the coming Messiah. What did Jesus say in John's Gospel? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Everybody thought he was talking about the physical building, but he was talking about, John explains it, this little note in the gospel, he was talking about the temple of his body, and the, 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 the temple that is the body of Christ. And so the church collectively, as the people of God, is the mystical body of Christ. We form the church. It's not a building, it, although there, we do have buildings, of course, but, but it's the people of God. We are living stones, as Peter said, built up uh, in, in the world as a, as a beacon, the lighthouse, as it were.
But Jesus said something greater than the temple is here. He said that in Matthew's gospel. And he also says something greater than Solomon is here. So here's what Peter Crave said. Solomon made three basic mistakes. Too many women, number one. Too many women. Too many gods, number two. And number three, most importantly, oh, this is a devastating line. He says he let his women choose his gods rather than letting his God choose his women. Woo-hoo! Wow, that's a mic drop right there. Too many gods, too many women, and he let his women choose his gods rather than letting his God choose his women. That was part of Solomon's problem because he was marrying all these pagan women or worshiping pagan deities, and they kind of convinced him to, to go along with this, to to worship their gods. And so he had this sort of admixture of worship of the one true and living God, the God of Israel, and then the, all these other deities, and it messed up his life. And it, and it, it, it messed his, with his mind, and he didn't have his priorities straight. And that was a, a huge cause of the downfall of the nation after, after Solomon died. And, and this is something we really, really have to be very, very careful about in our own lives. Now, the church does allow, the Catholic Church does allow for people to marry non-Catholics and non, even non-Christians, uh, provided that the other party does not stand in the way of the Catholic fulfilling their, their duty to become a saint and help their children to become saints. But, but you have to be really strong to do that. And I've, I've seen people do this. I, I know people that are in this situation. And let's face it, there, there, are, there are certainly issues that happen. There are certainly things that crop up. And I know several couples where... Their kids are no longer practicing, in part because dad doesn't want to go to Mass. Dad's not Catholic. He just stays home and watches TV. Why should I go to Mass? Whatever the case may be. I'm not saying it's, it's, it, can't, it can't work because many people do make it work. But there's also a lot of suffering involved as well. When you can't share the most important thing in your life, it's not a thing, it's a person, it's God, with your significant other. And, and you can't relate on that level. I'm not saying don't do it, um, but... The church allows for it, obviously. I, we're, we're, none of us are smarter than Holy Mother Church here, but but there, there's something to be something to think about here. And um, anyways, so you got to be strong in your faith to pull that off. And Solomon, unfortunately, was uh, really weak on that front. So that's kind of a background to Solomon's life in the scriptures, what that's all about. The queen, the queen of Sheba came to visit him and sought his wisdom. And Jesus says, look, Somebody much smarter than Solomon even is here, and that's me. And the tragedy is a lot of you guys aren't even listening to me. You're not, you're not, you're not taking advantage of this. You're rejecting me. And, and that was true then. It's true today. So we don't want to make that mistake. But we've got to take a little break here on the Kale Clark Show. But right after this, I'm going to talk to you about something that happens in our lives all the time. We make the same mistake as Solomon. Not, not the stuff I was talking about. Uh, hopefully our love life doesn't look like that. But... But we make another big mistake every day. And I've got an idea about how you might be able to fix this. And me too, by the way. I'm guilty as charged. Be right back on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
Hey, welcome back to the program on this Monday. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me. 888-914-9149. I'm going to be giving you later on, just a few minutes, some insight uh, from the great Walter Isaacson, biographer, on why exactly Elon Musk is changing Twitter. It's, it seems like a risky move. He's going to be rebranding it as X. X.com, X, the everything app. What does this mean? Where did this come from? I'm going to tell you later. But you can also follow me on Twitter while it's still called Twitter. It won't be for much longer. At Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E on Twitter slash X. All right. So before the break, we were talking about King Solomon because Jesus says in the gospel today, something greater than Solomon is here. And I gave you kind of the backstory on Solomon, what he was known for. Obviously, his supernaturally gifted wisdom and his great riches and his he was the greatest Casanova who ever lived. My goodness. Um, whew, 700 wives, 300 concubines. He was a busy guy. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, who gets date night this week? I have no idea. But anyways, um, so much we could say about this. This is where the concept of the queen mother comes in, by the way, too. Uh, Mary as the queen of heaven, the kingdom of God. Uh, the new son of David. It's not Solomon, it's Jesus. And in his kingdom that he's setting up, there is a queen, but he's not married, right? And, and so who's the queen? The queen mother, and that is Mary. And this comes from Solomon's kingdom because Bathsheba, his mother, was the queen mother. You can read about this in the Old Testament books of Samuel as well. You know, 700 uh, wives, 300 concubines, they're not going to have a mud wrestling match to see who the, the real queen is. It's not a WWE event, Okay. Uh, made for TV, it's it's the queen mother. There's only one queen mother, right? So she gets it's easy. It's just easy. Um, but but that that is very much the case where the queen mother Bathsheba intercedes with her son the king on behalf of her subjects, and this is what Mary does for us. And it's <laughs> Jesus. You know, he, I, I think it's extremely rare, if ever, that he would deny his mother uh, her request, and so she's a good person to have in our corner for sure. For sure. All right. So, let, but let's get back to this. This whole idea of the Solomon framework, the Solomon paradox. Well, King Solomon obviously was very well known for giving wise advice. People saw it. The Queen of Sheba traveled so far just to hear him and get answers to her questions. But he was really, really bad at taking his own advice. And, and we make this mistake all the time. If you're a parent. You probably give like amazing advice to your kids, but do you, do you actually keep it yourself? Do you actually uh, follow your own teaching? That's that's not so easy. And there, there's this guy uh, uh, who's a very well-known entrepreneur. If you're on Twitter, if you're on the net in certain circles, you, you probably heard of this guy named Alex Hormozzi. He's a really uh, big name entrepreneur, and he talked about something when he was interviewed on a podcast. It was on the, the Danny Miranda podcast, and I saw this little clip, and I thought it was just really intriguing he started talking about the solomon framework for solving problems well what, what does this really have to do with anything well um there's, there's a an account i follow on uh, on twitter alex and books uh, he writes about books and stuff obviously alex and books a cool guy and he, he sort of explained how, how this works and this this idea that that solomon's own life was kind of in shambles because he couldn't solve his own problems, even though he was really good at solving other people's problems. A lot of scientists have actually researched this, this whole phenomenon, and, they, and they've come to the same conclusion. 
that just in general, we are better as people at giving advice to other people than giving advice to ourselves. And, and there's, there's a lot of reasons for this. Maybe we're more objective when we're looking at outside situations. I don't know. There's too many things going on. But this guy, Alex Hormozzi, uh, Hormozzi, excuse me, Hormozzi, Alex Hormozzi, he, he came up with something called the Solomon Framework to deal with problems that he had, decisions that he had to make. And, and here's how it works. He, he just opens up a Word document, or you, I mean, you don't have to do this digitally. You could do this, you could just grab a notebook, grab a moleskin or some other notebook and your favorite fountain pen. You could do it old school style. Maybe that's good because they say there's kinetic feedback that you get when you do things in an analog format that you just don't get when you're working in the digital realm. And I think that's probably true. You tend to mem remember things a little bit more. So let's say you've got a big problem that you're trying to solve, a big issue that you're trying to figure out. Here's how it works. And Alex Hormozzi started doing this. He, he has these imaginary conversations between him and his 85-year-old self. He imagines himself sitting across from him at the age of 85, and he's having these conversations with his older self about his current problems. Now, this is really, really intriguing. This is an intriguing idea. This might sound corny. It might sound, sound absolutely off the wall, ridiculous. Come on, I'm not going to have an imaginary conversation with my older self. But, but here's the thing, and, and here's what Alex Hormozzi says about this. Nobody understands the issues that you're going through and the problems that you have more than you do. And here's the thing. If you, if you, if you hire a therapist, and maybe that's a good thing. Uh, certainly, we would say in the Catholic realm, it's a really, really good idea to have a spiritual director. We have a whole show about spiritual direction on Relevant Radio. It's called The Inner Life. Check it out. Uh, Brooke Taylor guest hosting this week. But having said that, um, not you know, some people have spiritual directors, which is good. Some people have psychologists. Some people have psychiatrists. Some people have therapists. Like Tony Soprano had a therapist. Um, did he listen to this person? I don't know. But having said that, Nobody really knows your problems and about your life more than you do. Of course, God. You and God are, are the ones that know it best. But I don't know if you've had this experience. If you've ever asked someone for advice or gone to a therapist or, or, or an expert in a field that you need information on and you, you have this problem, you have this dilemma and you're trying to figure it out, the first thing you do is that you have to spend a lot of time sometimes, depending on how complicated the issue is, you got to spend a lot of time and effort explaining the backstory of the problem, explaining the situation to this other person before they can even give you advice on it. So that, that just takes a lot of time. They take, it takes a lot of time. For some issues, like deep relationship problems or whatever, it might take hours to catch the other person up on all the context and the little details that they need to know to be apprised of what's going on. And I'm not saying don't talk to other people, because we should. The Bible says if you surround yourself with great advisors, you will succeed with many advisors. And it's important to rely on, because God did not create us to live as lone rangers. God did not create us to live as lone rangers. We, we are supposed to be in the church together. We're supposed to, uh, first of all, consult with, with God, with the Holy Spirit, but also with other people and, 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 and the wisdom that they bring to the table, the expertise that they bring. Now, in, in the secular world, um, that can be a problem. Okay, so number one, 
one reason why you might want to have this conversation with your older self, and I'm not saying this is the only person you should talk to, your 85-year-old self, but nobody, nobody knows the context of your situation and problems more than you do. But number two, nobody has more aligned incentives with you than yourself. In other words, what you want, what you want the outcome to be, uh, in terms of the right choices, in terms of success, in terms of whatever you're looking for. Nobody wants this more for you than you do, your future self. And uh, in fact, your future self can even thank you for, hey, thank you for doing all the stuff that you're doing now because that's how I'm able to be who I am today because you made these choices. Your 85-year-old self might tell you that. But sometimes when you're relying on outside people, let's, let's use the example of a therapist, okay? Tony Soprano's therapist. A therapist might actually be, I'm not saying all therapists are bad by any stretch of the imagination. They want, you, they want to solve your problems, but, in, but in, uh, an unscrupulous therapist might have an interest in not solving all your problems, at least not right away, because, well, uh, I need some billable hours here, they might say. I, I've got mouths to feed at home. I've got bills to pay. I've got a mortgage. And Maybe we'll just string this discussion out over several sessions or several dozen sessions and before we finally get to the, to the, to the heart of the problem here. I, I'm not saying therapists really do that. That would be highly unethical. But at any rate, they, some, some, some of them don't want to lose you as a customer. So th that's kind of the idea but behind asking your future older self for advice, talking over your problems with your future older self. And so this guy, Alex Hormozzi, actually, that's the first thing he does in his work week. He schedules a one-hour appointment with his 85-year-old self. It's in his calendar. And he sits down and has this discussion. And he'll actually write it out. He'll type it out. He'll, he'll say, hey, what about this? What do you mean this? And he'll have this, like, imaginary conversation going back and forth. Now, now you don't necessarily need to actually write it down, too. Like one thing you could do is you could have this conversation with your older self on the go, you could take a walk with your dog. I, I would recommend putting in some ear pods, maybe just so that people at least think you're talking to a real person on the other end. Uh, you're not having a car. You're not just talking to yourself, but um, you, you could actually do it out loud. And that way, no one will even blink. They won't even look at you funny if, if you're doing it uh, with an ear pod in or something like that. But uh, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting exercise because, as, as Alex Hormozzi said, most of wisdom is just thinking things through over a longer time horizon. So why not just talk to the guy at the end of the line, at the end of the time horizon, your 85-year-old self? It's interesting. It's interesting. Or, or maybe you could do that. Maybe you could do this. This, this might be even better from a Catholic perspective. Why not have the conversation with your 85-year-old self plus our Lord sitting in the room as well. Like, Jesus, what do you think of this? You know, we got, we got to make it supernatural as well. I just thought it was a really interesting mental model to try to figure things out because your 85-year-old self might, might say to you, hey, you shouldn't even be worrying about this. This is nothing. It, trust me, when you get to 85, this will seem like a blip on the radar screen. This thing that you're stressing out over, it's nothing. It's, 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 it's less than nothing. It's, don't, don't waste your time worrying about it. But uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. It, it's, try it. Why not? It, it might actually work. Um, I, I talk to myself a lot as it is. I might as well talk to, hopefully, my older, wiser self. So that is the, what's called the Solomon Framework, uh, popularized by Alex Hormozzi. So your mileage may vary. 
I simply leave it with you. Take it for what it's worth. All right, well, we're going to be right back on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. I want to hear what you think about this. 888-914-9149. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the big, big, big news in, in the digital world and the business world over the last 24 hours. What is happening to Twitter? It's going to be turned into X, the everything app. What, what, and, and apparently this is going to be world-changing. So I'm going to have some great context on this from Walter Isaacson in just a moment. So stay tuned to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. I like that song. I don't know what it is, but I feel like I'm in an 80s video game, which is exactly where I'd want to spend the rest of my time on Earth if I could. <laughs> Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. I, I am still convinced the 80s is the greatest decade of all time. Do, can you still hear me, Producer Jim? Okay, no, it's just kind of an abrupt ending to the song. I thought you were going to... I wasn't sure you were still there, or I was still uh, on air. But, but okay, we're here. We are here. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Nine one four nine is the number to call. Here, here's the other big news that I wanted to get to from yesterday. <laughs> this is just awesome. That and a lot of people are, are not convinced this is awesome. But Elon Musk, who recently bought Twitter, has announced that. Okay, and I knew he was going to do this at some point, but he's he he's changing Twitter. It's not going to be known as Twitter anymore. It's going to be simply known as X, the everything app. And people are saying, why would you want to do this? Twitter has such great brand equity. This idea of birds tweeting at each other in the tweet in the in the tweez, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, I didn't mean to do that, but it kind of is appropriate. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, why are you changing this? The blue bird, it, it's so iconic. But he's changing it. He's changing it. And immediately after he announced this, Mark Zuckerberg announced that he's changing the name of Meta to Y. The, the letter Y. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. But uh, that's that's kind of a that's not original to me. But that's I think it's a funny joke. As you might know, Mark Zuckerberg, who he and you know what he changed the name of Facebook. He changed it to Meta, uh, the company that owns Facebook and all the other stuff. Um, and you know nobody really cares about that now. I don't, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. But he did try to start up a a Twitter competitor, which you might you might have even signed up for this. It's called Threads. Well, Threads has essentially unraveled over the last few days. They just started it. It had like a lot of users for a little bit now, and like almost no one's using it. So, okay, they're going back to the original Twitter. So, okay, Musk, why would you want to do this? People are leaving Threads. They're going back to Twitter. There can only be one, and you have it. Why change it? Why mess with a good thing? Why, why go to New Coke if you don't have to, essentially? Well, here's what, here's what Linda Yaccarino said. She's the new CEO of Twitter. Now, Elon was trying to be the CEO of Twitter, along with all of his other companies. This guy's unbelievable. I mean, it's not only Twitter, it's SpaceX. He's trying to make people interplanetary. Um, it's the boring company. Now, what, what was that all about? No, it's nothing to do with not being excited. He wants to create underground tunnels in big cities like L.A. where traffic is horribly congested. We like traffic jams at Relevant Radio because it means more people are listening. But, hey, they can listen in the tunnels, too. As long as their signal can get through and uh, electric cars will be on these tracks and they'll just kind of like whoosh people through at high speeds. 
okay, we need we need these solutions. Um, he's got another company called Neuralink. Okay, that's maybe a bit more controversial. We'll talk about that another time. Obviously, Tesla. And what else? Am I missing something? And then, and then uh, now there's this new company called XAI, which is all about artificial intelligence. He loves the letter X. <laughs> he named his, his, one of his children X, and then a whole bunch of other letters and numbers. You know about that. Um, he, has a, he has a fond love affair with, with the letter X. Um, and now he, he's changing Twitter into X, the everything app. All right, so here's what Linda Yaccarino said. Now, he, he installed Linda as the CEO because he realized he can't do this and all the other stuff, which is good. And she said this. She tweeted this out yesterday from her account. She said, it's an exceptionally rare thing in life or in business that you get a second chance to make another big impression. Twitter made one massive impression and changed the way we communicate. Now, X will go further, transforming the global town square. And she continued on in this thread of tweets here. She said, X is the future state of unlimited interactivity centered in audio, video, messaging, payments, and banking, creating a global marketplace for ideas, goods, services, and opportunities. Powered by AI, artificial intelligence, X will connect all of us in ways that we're just beginning to imagine. She goes on to say, For years, fans and critics alike have pushed Twitter to dream bigger, to innovate faster, and to fulfill our great potential. X will do that and more. We've already started to see X take shape over the past eight months through our rapid feature launches, but we're just getting started. There's absolutely no limit to this transformation. X will be the platform that can deliver, well, everything. Elon Musk and I are looking forward to working with our teams and every single one of our partners to bring X to the world. All right. So as you can see, like this, he really does mean it when he says that X is going to be the everything app. Ideas, goods, services, opportunities, um, audio, video, messaging, payments and banking even. You don't have to go anywhere else. Is this a good thing? Is it not? 888-914-9149 is the number to call so you can weigh in on this as well. And I think one of the things that Elon was was worried about, obviously, when he took over Twitter was he was seeing how uh, big tech, big media was being manipulated by agendas, by certain factions, by certain moneyed groups of people that wanted a certain narrative to get out there. We all know about this. And he wanted the town square to be a place where everybody had a voice, no matter what side of the spectrum you, you're, you're on, politically or religiously or whatever the case may be, that everybody would have a voice. He, he sees it as the town square, the digital town square. Um, and he sees platforms like YouTube where videos are being censored if they are, are against the cultural narrative that the powers that be want to promote. Um, things like that. People are, are throttled. They're dialed back. And uh, so th I think that's where he, he sort of wants us to be a YouTube competitor as well. So it's, it's really interesting. And then it's also interesting how quickly this guy moves. Elon Musk, he basically said, look, I'm doing this like now. I'm not waiting. I'm doing this now. And if anybody has a logo for the new X app, just send it to me, and we'll pick the best one that we see fans produce over the next 24 hours. There, there's no consultant that they're hiring. There's no company that they're spending millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to rebrand the thing. They're, they're doing it on the fly. This is unbelievable. And he, he can, just because he can. He can, he can do it. Um, this, this is absolutely wild. All right, now, just, I do want to tell you, before we get to your phone calls here, um, in just a second, 888-914-9149. Uh, the great Walter Isaacson, 
uh, who's a biographer who's written a lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff, uh, biographies on Leonardo da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin, Albert Einstein, a famous one that came out a few years ago. I think it was in, I can't remember which year it came out, but the one on Steve Jobs. Um, he's a professor at Tulane. And his next book, his next big biography, is going to be on Elon Musk. It's coming out in September. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. The great Walter Isaacson. So he weighed in on this. He he actually he gave us uh, an, an excerpt from his forthcoming book on Elon Musk to explain what the heck is going on here. And in fact, I I actually uh, posted, I pinned it to my to my Twitter feed, so you can check that out, or my X feed, if you will, uh, at Kale Clark. You can you can see it there, and. He, he said, look, and I'm quoting Walter Isaacson here, he said, the infatuation of Elon Musk with the name X.com goes way back. And then he, he says, here's an excerpt from my upcoming book called Elon Musk. And so I'm just going to, this is a, an excerpt from Walter Isaacson's forthcoming book. It's just a little snippet, but it gives you some, some background on this and what he was thinking at the time. This goes back to 1999. Uh, he writes, quote, when his cousin Peter visited in early 1999, he found Musk pouring over books about the banking system. And Elon Musk said, quote, I'm trying to think about what to start next, end of quote. His experience at Scotiabank, and by the way, Elon Musk, just to interject here, Elon Musk spent quite a bit of time in Canada as well. He uh, was born in South Africa, lived in Canada for a time, worked at Scotiabank, which is one of the big five Canadian banks. I mean, these, the banking system in Canada is a lot different. These things are monolithic. They are bulletproof. They are... <laughs> almost a, um, a monopoly, if you will, but there are these huge, huge banks, biggest businesses in the country by far. Um, one of them is called Scotiabank. And so Elon Musk worked there. And uh, Walter Isaacson writes, his experience at Scotiabank had convinced him that the industry, the banking industry, was ripe for disruption. So in March of 1999, he founded X.com. His concept for X.com was grand. It would be a one-stop everything store for all financial needs, banking, digital purchases, checking, credit cards, investments, and loans. Transactions would be handled instantly with no waiting for payments to clear. His insight was that money is simply an entry into a database. And he wanted to devise a way that all transactions were securely recorded in real time. He said, quote, if you fix all the reasons why a consumer would take money out of the system, then it will be the place where all the money is, and that would make it a multi-trillion dollar company, end of quote. Musk was able to entice the influential head of Sequoia Capital, Michael Moritz, to make a major investment in X.com. Moritz then facilitated a deal with Barclays Bank and a community bank in Colorado to become partners so that X.com could offer mutual funds, have a bank charter, and be FDIC insured. That's the Federal Deposits and Insurance Corporation. One of Musk's management tactics, then as later, was to set an insane deadline and drive colleagues to meet it. He did that in the fall of 1999 by announcing in what one engineer called, and I'm going to sanitize this a little bit, what one engineer called a Richard move. Okay, I think you probably understand what I'm saying. A Richard move. And so what did, what did he do? Elon Musk decreed that X.com would launch to the public on Thanksgiving weekend. Okay, this is, keep in mind, this is already the fall. All right, we're already into the fall season. And he says X.com is going to launch on Thanksgiving weekend. So in the weeks leading up to that, 
He prowled the office each day, including Thanksgiving, in a nervous and nervous-making frenzy. He slept under his desk most nights. One of the engineers who went home at 2 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning got a call from Musk at 11 a.m. asking him to come back in because another engineer had worked all night and he was not running on full thrusters anymore. Such behavior produced drama and resentments, but also success. When the product went live that weekend, all the employees marched over to a nearby ATM where Musk inserted an X.com debit card. Cash came out of the machine, and the team celebrated. So one driver of their growth was a feature that they originally thought was no big deal. The ability to send money by email. That became wildly popular, especially on the auction site eBay, where, where users were looking for an easy way to pay strangers for purchases. And so after a merger with a company co-founded by Peter Thiel and Max Levchin, the company became known as PayPal. Now, certainly you've heard of PayPal. And why haven't you heard of X.com before now? Well, Musk insisted that the company's name should be X.com and that PayPal should simply be one of its subsidiary brands. He even tried to rebrand the payment system as X-PayPal, but there's a lot of pushback, especially from Max Levchin. PayPal had become a trusted brand name, like a good pal who's helping you to get paid. Focus groups showed that the name X.com, on the contrary, conjured up vis visions of a seedy site that you would not talk about in polite company. Um, and, and Musk was just adamant on this. He said... If you want to just be a niche payment system, PayPal is better. But if you want to take over the world's financial system, X is the better name. So, how, so eventually he had an arm wrestling contest with this guy, Max Levchin, who was, who was like half the size of Elon Musk. Musk beat him in the arm wrestling match, and the winner was supposed to get the rights to the name. And uh, he, he didn't win in the end. It became PayPal. But at the end of the day, and there's, there's much more context into this, and you can... Um, Read it. Uh, I pin it to my Twitter feed at Kale Clark. You can check it out. It's an excerpt from Walter Isaacson's book. Um, he lost that battle, but now he's going to ultimately win the war because he's turning Twitter into X.com, X the everything app. So I, I am really intrigued to see what happens in the future. And he's a pretty smart guy, just like Solomon. He, he's 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 pretty smart. He knows what he's doing. I'm also looking forward to reading uh, Isaacson's biography of Elon Musk. That that should be a that should be a banger. I'm looking forward to that. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Alice in Tampa. Hello, Alice. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, first of all, a couple things about that X stuff. I mean, this is the first I've heard of it. Um, just listening to you just now. And first of all, the, the letter X tells me, like, no, don't go there. Uh -huh. Second of all, second of all, it, it just seems like um, he's obviously trying to be God if he's trying to do everything, like you said. If he's trying to do, like, our banking and our buying, and I'm like, forget it. He's trying to be God to everything, and I don't know enough about Elon Musk, whether he even believes in God or not, or how, how he does. And then third of all, I would just wait it out. I mean, who wants, nowadays, who wants to jump on the bandwagon, maybe the younger generation, like to be the fastest and to be, mm. know what's going on first. And I, and just like you said, the, the one that, um, 
that Facebook or Meta tried yeah. to start this. Uh, it's just died down. But that was kind of predictable. And it's pretty predictable that X is going to not take off <laughs> because it's trying to be God. And maybe the doctor, it's just predictable to me. Uh, it's, it's an interesting take, Alice. Thank you for that call. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I, we, we, we can talk about this much more in the future because you've raised a lot of interesting points. In terms of where he's at spiritually, I think he's... I think he's kind of searching, to be honest with you. And um, you might recall a few a few months ago we talked about this. The guys from the Babylon Bee were talking to Musk. They were interviewing him. And they kind of pigeonholed him about what do you think about Jesus. And it's almost like they're making him want to pray the sinner's prayer right there on the podcast. He, he, I, thought he was, I thought they kind of cornered him. I didn't think it was necessarily fair. Um, and he was very polite about it. But um, I do think he's thinking uh, really hard about these questions for sure. Um, but, yeah, much more on that in the future. I want to bring in Patrick Alog right now before we go because – this is an incredible milestone uh, for all of us here on the Kale Clark Show. Something I've never done, Patrick Alog was able to do on Saturday, which was what, Patrick? Hey, Kale. Good afternoon. Uh, yes, I hit my first and probably it'll be my only hole-in-one ever. You got a hole-in-one. Where was it? How it long was it? Was, it's it a was par a, three, obviously. Uh, yeah, it was a Twin Lakes golf course, uh, nine-hole executive muni course, uh, sixth hole, 100-yard uh, par three, uh, pitching wedge. Tireless wow. golf ball. Uh, did you did you did you did you sort of jar it on the fly or did it, what, well? What I think it, it bounced. I think it bounced and then went in. But the funny thing is the way the hole was designed. I didn't know if I hit it if it, that it went in. I knew it was a good shot, and I was playing with some strangers. These are teenagers who like barely have played golf, so their balls were going all over the place. <laughs> I had to wait like five minutes before I could even get to the green. Oh man! That's so and then <laughs> I I and then I finally like walk up near the green and I'm thinking, wait, I don't see my ball. I think my ball might go in the hole. And I can tell the teens were like really excited. I was like, hold on, wait, hit your shots first, and then let me go. And then, yes. Now, I wish I probably could have taken like a video in terms of my reaction stuff, but I was just more like in shock. You know, well, you sent yeah. me a photo. Yes, you sent me a photo. Yes. with your with your permission, can I post that on, yeah, on the sure. new X app? Yes, uh, on X. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's incredible. Hole in one. I've never done it. I can only dream about such things. Uh, but the, the great news for all of us at Relevant Radio is that drinks are on Patrick Alog next time I'm in town. <laughs> so uh, you, you owe us, man. That is incredible. But uh, uh, speaking of golf, by the way, we, uh, neither, neither one of us were pretty accurate in our uh, prof- prophetic and our yeah, British Open hey, predictions. All of, our, all of our players made the cut, though. Um, we did. Yeah, but then... But then, Nobody yes. knew Brian Harmon was going to win this. No, Nobody, no, no not I, even Vegas knew this. I had the best finisher, Matthew Jordan, 10th place. There you go. Well, you get the honors and the hole-in-one as well to boot. This has been the K.O. Clark Show. Jim Schaefer produced Patrick Alog. Too busy hitting hole-in-ones to take your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.